This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. Breaking news tonight, mass shooting in Milwaukee. As many as seven people dead after a gunman opens fire at the Molson Coors campus in Milwaukee. The latest reporting just coming in. More breaking news, coronavirus crisis response. With American infections growing and financial markets tanking, the president speaks out. But he says he's announcing tonight. Plus the race across the U.S. to stock up on masks. America decides just days from a make or break primary in South Carolina, Joe Biden's campaign gets a big boost. Why he's saying he's guaranteed a victory after squaring off at our CBS News debate. Desperate search, a possible break in the case of a missing 15-month-old girl. Her mother and grandmother now under arrest. Why are investigators focusing on this North Carolina pond? Enormous explosion. The biggest refinery on the West Coast rocked by a blast. LA's biggest highway shut down as flames shoot into the sky. The latest on what set off the blaze. Call him Harry, the royal formerly known as Prince publicly drops his title. The dramatic turn tonight. And taking down barriers. They took on a sport once reserved for men. Tonight, they're on the road to being champions. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell, reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you so much for joining us. We are going to begin tonight with breaking news of another mass shooting. A gunman went on a shooting rampage in Milwaukee late this afternoon. Sources tell CBS News at least seven people, including the shooter, are dead. It happened at the Molson Coors Complex, where Miller beer is brewed. CBS News has learned the gunman had been fired earlier in the day. And as the gunfire rang out, workers were told to shelter in place. Tonight, police are still on the scene. 
Dean Reynolds leads off our coverage from Milwaukee. Police responded to reports of a shooting at the Molson Coors compound, and sources tell CBS News a total of seven people are dead, including the shooter. Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett. There was a horrific shooting that has occurred. Very rough day for anybody who is close to this situation. As officers donned tactical gear, employees of the brewery were warned via email to find a safe place to hide. At least one woman texted her husband that she was locked inside a room with co-workers. Emergency responders described the scene to dispatchers. Uh, I just overheard on their radio seven, seven victims. Neighboring schools were locked down. This bus driver says students were in the process of dismissal when it all began. Well, they're not going to let them out into the zoo with, so that could be a long time. Ryan Hull's son let him know what was happening. He had called me and told me that, you know, they were all locked down. They can't even leave the classrooms. Hours later, the two were reunited. All of us were just kind of in shock because we didn't know what was going on. Now, the company is currently undergoing a restructuring that will eventually eliminate 400 to 500 jobs. And CBS News has indeed learned that the gunman here was fired this morning. He returned to work with his weapon and apparently regained access to the building using a stolen ID tag. Nora? All right, Dean. Thank you. I want to turn now to the other breaking news. President Trump will soon appear before reporters alongside his coronavirus task force. For only the second time in his presidency, he's going to speak to the press from the White House briefing room. The president is expected to outline plans for dealing with the coronavirus threat. Cases worldwide now top 80,000 with more than 2,700 deaths. Three more coronavirus cases were confirmed in the U.S. today. That's bringing the total number to 60. And that led to another triple-digit loss on Wall Street today. We have two reports, beginning with Paula Reed at the White House. And Paula, it is rare to see the president come into the White House briefing room, right? Absolutely. It's a confined space where he potentially faces questions from over 100 reporters. Earlier today, he called his top health officials to the White House for an emergency briefing on the virus. And this press conference is an opportunity for him to reassure the American people that his administration is prepared for this outbreak. Anger and frustration at the White House tonight as the president tries to get control of his administration's message on the coronavirus. Mr. Trump is especially frustrated that comments from the CDC stoked fears of the virus and sent stocks tumbling this week. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar tried to convey the president's position to concerned lawmakers. He's trying to calm a public that we see in China panic can be as big of an enemy as virus in these situations. And so there is a, there is always that balance. Mr. On Secretary, I, I don't want to panic over this either. The that. stock market's crashing. He's trying to stop a stock market. He's not try, he's he's outright contradicting everything that you all have just said. Outright contradiction. Administration officials insisted yesterday the virus was tightly contained. But Azar said today it is spreading. I was informed that we have a 15th confirmed case. There is now community transmission in a number of countries, including outside of Asia, which is deeply concerning. Democrats accuse the administration of downplaying the crisis and underfunding the response. What he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. A strong economy is central to the president's re-election strategy, so getting out ahead of a virus that could spread and slow economic growth is critical. Nora.
All right, Paula, thank you so much. Tonight, health officials on Long Island, New York, are monitoring more than 80 people who visited China and may have come in contact with the coronavirus. And all over the country, there is a run on masks and protective equipment. Meg Oliver reports hospitals are gearing up. Your gown goes on first. Here at Holy Name Medical Center outside New York City, everyone from surgeons to security guards are training on how to best protect themselves from the highly contagious virus. How hard is it to protect your staff? Most likely it's spread through droplets. So if we can isolate ourselves by wearing a mask, by wearing uh, gloves, a gown, this is of utmost importance. As hospitals stock up on supplies, their suppliers across the country are running out of protective equipment. This factory in Georgia is adding shifts to more than double production to meet the demand for masks. We'll be running 24 hours a day, six days a week. Red Oak uniforms and medical supply. In Houston, this medical supply store ran out. There's a very limited supply, and they're allocating that supply for, again, high-risk agencies, hospitals, and government agencies. Coast to coast, health officials are sounding the alarm. That it is best to prepare now. And it's not just the healthcare system gearing up. At least six universities are recalling their students studying in Italy and South Korea all in an attempt to keep the virus from spreading. We don't have any natural immunity, we don't have a vaccine, uh, and we don't have antivirals to treat this. So really right now, prevention is out of cure. In addition to hospitals, schools across the country are also drawing up emergency plans to deal with a possible outbreak. One school here in New Jersey tells us if three or more students show symptoms, they will notify health services and deep clean their classrooms. Nora. All right, Meg, thank you. We're going to turn now to campaign 2020 on the day after Tuesday night's debate here on CBS. Bernie Sanders is keeping up his populist attack on Joe Biden, while Biden picked up a big endorsement from a South Carolina party power broker. And with the primary there just three days away, the race is going down to the wire. Ed O'Keefe reports tonight from Charleston. Bernie Sanders is leading nationally, but not here in South Carolina, which explains why today he went after Joe Biden. Joe, you're not going to bring working people into the political process when you voted for a terrible bankruptcy bill. The former vice president and establishment favorite today earned the most establishment of endorsements from Congressman Jim Clyburn, a kingmaker in South Carolina. South Carolinas should be voting for Joe Biden. Biden predicts victory on Saturday, which would be his first of the campaign. I'm here, heart and soul, with everything I've got, to earn the support of the people of South Carolina. If he does prevail, it will likely be because of Biden's support among African-Americans, who account for roughly six in 10 Democratic primary voters here. Today, the contenders stopped by a civil rights breakfast. We're gonna bring people together. The tone was far different from Tuesday night's debate, seen by more than 15 million people, the highest rated yet on broadcast television. I dug in, I did the work, and then Bernie's team trashed me for it. The candidates didn't hold back, knowing it was their last chance to slow Sanders' momentum before Saturday's primary and Super Tuesday. I like Bernie. We came in together to the Senate, but I do not think that this is the best person to lead the ticket. Imagine spending the better part of 2020 with Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump. And Ed joins us from the trail. So, Ed, the candidates right now focused on South Carolina, but Super Tuesday just right around the corner. Paint out for us how the campaigns are best organized and positioned to do in those states. 
Sure, Nora, you can measure this in a few different ways, but by far, Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders have the most robust operations in those 14 states. Bloomberg is spending at least $153 million on TV ads there, and Sanders has deployed more than 200 staffers. By comparison, former Vice President Biden is spending just six figures on TV ads in eight of those states. Nora. All right, Ed, thank you. Today, federal prosecutors charged five people connected to a white supremacist group with plotting to intimidate journalists and others, including a cabinet secretary, by terrorizing them in their homes. Jeff Pegues has more on the suspects. The arrest involved members of a neo-Nazi group called Atomwaffen, which has been on law enforcement's radar for several years. They vowed to accelerate the collapse of civilization using violence, mass murder, hate, and threat. The five individuals are all charged with making threats. Four were involved in a plot to send hate-filled posters like this one to the homes of journalists and activists, many of them Jewish. The fifth, John Cameron Denton, is alleged to have called in fake threats to a Virginia university, a historic black church, and even then, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen. Earlier this month, FBI Director Christopher Wray elevated racially motivated violent extremism to a national threat priority. Not only is the terror threat diverse, it's unrelenting. According to the Anti-Defamation League, domestic extremists were responsible for at least 42 deaths last year alone, and 90% of those were linked to right-wing extremists. The violence associated with these groups has surpassed the violence associated with uh, uh, groups that we uh, deem international terrorism groups here in the United States. The FBI has now created a domestic hate crimes and terrorism fusion cell to investigate these cases, and that involves working undercover and tracking what suspects are doing online if, Nora, there is evidence that they are planning violence. This is now one of the top threats. It is. All right, Jeff, thank you. In North Carolina, an intense search is underway tonight for a 15-month-old girl from Tennessee who's been missing since December. Her mother and grandmother are under arrest after giving police conflicting stories about the toddler's whereabouts. Here's Omar Villafranca. Investigators searching for a missing Tennessee toddler didn't find any clues to date in this North Carolina pond. They were looking for evidence of 15-month-old Evelyn May Boswell, last seen just after Christmas in Tennessee. Evelyn's mother, Megan Boswell, says she left the little girl with her mother, the child's grandmother. We went to go out to eat, and then my mom came and got her. She was wearing a little hot pink tracksuit with a matching bow and little matching shoes. The little girl was reported missing last week, and an Amber Alert was issued. Investigators want to know why Megan Boswell waited nearly two months to report her child missing. The sheriff of Sullivan County says her story keeps changing, and Boswell was charged with false reporting. Many of the false statements that Megan made delayed our investigations. Angela Boswell, the toddler's grandmother, and William McLeod were arrested in North Carolina on unrelated charges. There are still no signs of the little girl. Omar Villafranca, CBS News. Winter storm alerts are posted tonight in more than a dozen states from the Great Lakes to northern New England and as far south as North Carolina and Tennessee. Parts of Michigan and Indiana got up to four inches of snow today and more is expected tonight. As the storm pushes east, parts of upstate New York are bracing for up to three feet of snow by Saturday. 
Tonight, investigators are trying to figure out what sparked a tremendous explosion and fire at the largest fuel refinery on the West Coast. The blast was heard miles from the plant in Carson, California, and Mola Lenghi is there tonight. A huge ball of fire in the center of the refinery. Flames shot through the night sky, visible throughout much of Southern California after an explosion at the largest refinery on the West Coast. There were uh, several explosions, up to potentially three explosions that uh, preceded the fire itself. The boom could be heard at least 25 miles away. One of the busiest freeways in the nation, the 405, shut down overnight as more than three dozen L.A. County firefighters battled the blaze for nearly five hours. It happened at the Marathon Petroleum Refinery south of Los Angeles. But what burned was not crude oil. Fire officials tell CBS News that all this was a massive propane explosion. The cause still under investigation and the bulk of the refinery back up and running. Well, the refinery here behind me produces more than 360,000 barrels of oil a day. No signs that production will be impacted. Fire officials tell CBS News there were no injuries. There does not appear to be any sort of threat to the public, Nora. All right, Mola, thank you. Welcome back. What's in a name? Well, if you're sixth in line to the British throne, plenty. But the royal, formerly known as Prince Harry, has let it be known he doesn't want that lofty title any longer. And some back home in Britain say the change comes with a hint of anger. Holly Williams reports from London. He's made it clear that we are all just to call him Harry. Prince Harry, or just Harry as he'd apparently like to be known, is back in Britain on his farewell tour as a senior member of the royal family before he and Meghan begin their new life in North America. But this statement from the couple on Friday suggests the split continues to be acrimonious. They've agreed with the royal family not to use the word royal in the branding of their new ventures, though they argued that outside of Britain, the monarchy couldn't stop them if they did. And the subtext is quite churlish. Royal correspondent Roya Nicker says the Queen has been gracious, Harry and Meghan not so much. They seem to be stamping their feet quite a lot, dwelling on what they didn't get, rather than the direction they're headed. Today, the Duchess of Cambridge appeared at the kind of unglamorous event that's the bread and butter of royal work. It's a life that the renegade royals will soon leave behind. Not using the word royal in their trademarks ultimately might not matter very much. After all, Meghan and Harry are still royal and immensely charismatic. But once again, the pair has publicly laid bare their feelings in a very un-British manner. Nora. All right, Holly, thank you. Tennis great Maria Sharapova is calling it game, set and match for her career. The five-time Grand Slam champion and former number one women's player was 14 when she turned pro in 2001. Well, now she's 32. She's worth an estimated $200 million. Sharapova posted a picture of herself as a young girl saying, tennis showed me the world and it showed me what I was made of. We wanted to share an important story with you because history will be made in Kansas tomorrow. More than 100 wrestlers will compete in the first ever state championships just for girls. Jamie Ukas on their hard-fought victory. She's a country girl, no stranger to hard work. And nothing can keep her down. On the farm. Get there quick. Or anywhere else. Time. 
18-year-old Nikki Moore has been wrestling boys for years on the Nickerson High Varsity Squad. She's one of five girls on the team. I don't know if anyone could have seen this coming. Nikki still remembers being bullied as a kid. I was really quiet. I kind of walked with my head down. I stayed by myself. Why? I didn't think I was good enough to be where I am today. Today, she ranks number one in the state in her female go. weight class, third in the nation. With a shot at the 2024 Olympics and now on her way to clinch her first state title. That was made possible by coach Doug Kretzer and his daughter Maya. It kind of takes a girl that's serious about wrestling to convince a coach that it's a worthy endeavor. They went to the mat to get girls wrestling recognized as an official sport. It was never easy, like competing and being on a team full of boys, like day and night, like you wrestle with these people, like it's really like difficult. It would take four years for girls wrestling to happen. Too late for Maya, but not for hundreds of others. <laughs> like Nickerson heavyweight Maddie Miller, who says wrestling gave her self-confidence. I don't think I would be such like an outgoing and a happy person like I am now if I didn't do wrestling. Miller walked into regionals undefeated. What is the strategy? I want to go get a state title as a freshman. Like, let's go. Good job, Nikki. Jamie Ucas, CBS News, McPherson, Kansas. Proof those girls are taking hold of their future. We wish them good luck. On tomorrow's CBS Evening News, we're going to meet a special group in Denver lifting their voices to preserve an important part of African-American history. And if you can't watch live, don't forget to see, set your DVR so you can watch us later. And that is tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell in Washington. Good night. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. If you enjoy tuning in to the CBS Evening News, there are official t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more available for purchase at ParamountShop.com. These products are perfect for any fan of Evening News, and you can take 20% off with code EVENING20. That's 20% off all CBS Evening News products with code EVENING20 at ParamountShop.com.